How many of you know that this is supposed to be a season and a time for giving, right? And, and when somebody gives you an incredible gift, one of the things to me that it's, it's, it's almost rude not to say thank you, right? And so before we even get into the message this morning, we're gathered today on this Christmas Sunday, and I thank you all for being here. Can we take a moment, though, in just our own way, in our own voices, just bow our heads, and however that works for you, just let's say thank you for the gift that today represents. Can we do that? Lord, we do come before you today. We thank you for the gift, Lord, the gift of your Son, who through his work provided us the gift of salvation. And because of that gift of salvation, Lord, we have a gift of a future. And so, Lord, we thank you for all these things. Today, we give you glory, and we give you honor, and we ask you to have your way in each and every one of our hearts. But, Lord, more than asking for anything, this morning, we just want to say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas. It's nice to see all of you here this morning, and and we're excited about doing one service. We had originally put this on the calendar for the, with the idea of doing one service for Christmas and, and uh, one service for New Year's Sunday to get everybody together. And just the more we talked about it, we said, you know what? Let's just go into 2020 and just make this thing permanent. I think there's just something great about having everybody together in one service. And so we decided, I, I play with the configuration. We can get more chairs in here if we need to. And so we've decided, you know, we're going to just do this until we can't. There is just something about unity in the body. So I'm excited about today. Well, we've been doing a series for those of you that hadn't been here that we're calling, that we call Vintage Christmas. I remember how Christmas used to be. Remember when you had that wonder of Christmas and you had that joy and there was just something about, you know, that time. And somehow along the way, sometimes we, we grow up and we become more adult-like and we think a little bit differently. And somewhere along the way, we kind of lose that joy of what Christmas is all about. Somewhere along the way, that, that wonder of what it's all about kind of goes away. And so today, we're going to be walking through this. And we're, we've been talking about today, I'm going to talk about miracles a little bit. How do we know that Christmas is full of miracles? Now, many things are described as miracles today. Matter of fact, for some of you, I can throw out the term miracle on ice, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Then in 1980, during the Winter Olympics, there was a ragtag USA hockey team going up against the Soviets that were and their team for the gold medal, and their team was the team that had um, all the, I mean, they had all their stars, all their professional hockey players, but somehow a miracle on ice took place, and the USA team won the gold. Now, I was just literally a one-year removed from high school at that point and but I remember being glued to the TV because that was such an exciting moment and so it's referred to as the miracle on ice and so we were talking about those things but there's other miracles like the miracle that happens on occasion when you have a family get together and that relative comes over that, that usually starts some kind of controversy among the family and they come over for whatever get together and somehow they manage to behave themselves the whole time and everybody leaves going wow even Uncle Joy what a miracle but those kind of limit the real definition of what a miracle is 
The definition of miracle is an event inexplicable by natural or scientific laws. So as we talk about vintage Christmas, we've been using some of the vintage Christmas movies, just kind of a springboard to set things up because how many know there's certain movies that just get played over and over and over during this time of year on multiple channels? And some of them we've probably watched a hundred times in our lives almost. And so we started out the first week and we talked about the a Christmas carol. And how many know that there's all kinds of Scrooges associated with Christmas? And we talked about all the different types of Scrooges, some people that might not even consider themselves Scrooges, but that are because they just have to pick everything apart. Then last week we talked about a wonderful life and how different life would be if there was no Jesus. Today we're going to talk about going to use the springboard the movie miracle on 34th street because how many know that christmas is full of miracles and so i kind of walked through the whole christmas story with the idea of what were what was miracles that took place and i came to the conclusion that there wasn't enough time to cover every single miracle that took place that first christmas but the but let me give a few details about the movie a couple of interesting facts did you know the movie was released in 1947 and it was actually not, even though it was a Christmas movie, it was not released at Christmas time. The studio literally decided more people go to the movies in May, so we're going to release this movie in May. And literally what they did, they didn't let out, they didn't let anybody know that the movie was actually a Christmas movie. I literally found online, I found the original trailer, and all it has is people talking about, you've got to see this movie. This movie has, has, has serious moments. It has drama. It has laughter. It has all exciting moments. It has everything you'd want in a movie, but it didn't show anything about what the movie was about. So I just picture people showing up in May to the theater and finding out they're watching a Christmas movie. There's some interesting things about the movie. If you, if, you have, if you haven't watched it, actually, in all honesty, I've seen pieces of it. But Kim and I sat down to watch the whole thing since we were gonna, since I was gonna do this message kind of based on it. And so it's kind of an interesting story. Now I realize this is not a movie that has Christ as the center of it. But yet there's some underlying things in it that we can really pull from. The whole thing starts out, if you've not seen it, is that is that there's this, it starts out with this gentleman, he's walking through town and he's stopping and looking at different things and he happens to be kind of a jolly fellow and he has a great personality and long beard and white hair. He just fits the part of Santa, but he's just dressed up in, in a suit and a cane and he's walking around and he comes upon the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. And as he's walking around and he's looking at all the things, he comes upon the one float that has a, a sleigh on it and, and reindeer and all that stuff. And, and he finds the guy that's supposed to be playing Santa for the parade drunk big time. And so he's like, this can't be. This is, this is, I mean, it's going to ruin Christmas for the kids. So he goes and finds the lady whose name is Doris and begins to explain to her, hey, your Santa is drunk. So she fires him on the spot, but then she's like, what am I going to do? And she looks at the guy over and goes, hey, you looked the part. You brought this to my attention. Would you be Santa for this parade? He finally agrees and he steps up and dresses in the outfit, does an incredible job in the parade. 
I mean, it's just people are just drawn to him. And so when it's all done, she says, you know what? Would you come and be Santa at our store? So he comes to the store, and, and I mean, it too is going, I mean, the kids just fall in love with him and, and all this. And, and so things go well. There's a couple little things pop up. And so he's called in the office, and some questions are asked, and they find out that literally his name is Chris Kringle. And they're thinking, there's no way. So they, she goes and pulls the application. She looks at the application for the job, and it even has the reindeer listed as his next of kin. <laughs> and so as this is going through this, they decide, okay, this guy's a little off his rocker, but he's doing such a great job. We'll put up with it. But then a couple instances happen, and the, the company psychologist decides he has an issue with Chris Kringle, and so he sets out to have him committed for being a little off his rocker because he really believes he's Santa Claus. So this whole hearing takes place with the idea that they're going to have him committed. And so there's a trial that takes place, and the whole thing is, is this guy crazy enough to be committed and so the lawyer, this neighbor of the lady that, that was in charge of this, he's a young lawyer. He decides, I'm going to defend him. I'm going to fight for his rights. This guy, you know, he's not even so sure he 100% believes, but he's like, you know, hey, this guy doesn't deserve to be locked away. But as things play out, his only chance that he's got is to actually make the case that he is Santa Claus that Chris Kringle is his name. So it's an interesting story. And the whole thing about this thing that drew this to my attention is that it's, even though it wasn't about Christ, is the movie is about people that can't see past their doubts. And a few people that rose up and said, you know what, I believe enough I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to defend this. And so really the whole basis of the movie is faith. And I, I pulled a line from the movie, Fred Grayley, which was the guy that was, that was the lawyer, makes this statement in the movie. He says, faith is believing when common sense tells you not to. I thought, wow. Kind of sounds a little bit to me like Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There is something about faith. You can't have Christmas without faith. And I'm afraid that many times somewhere along the line as, as people, even though probably if I were to ask for a show of hands, most people would say, I believe in the Christmas story. I believe that Jesus was born. I believe these things. But somewhere, I'm afraid sometimes we lose sight of some of the miracles. And somewhere over the years, it kind of just becomes a Christmas story. I mean, no, there is something way more powerful here than just a story than just a legend. And so I decided I was going to walk through this whole thing that we call the story of Christmas with the idea of what kind of miracles took place. So I boiled it down to this thought. Christmas is more than a story. It's a celebration of faith in the Christ of Christmas. That's why there was the atmosphere in the room today. It wasn't all because we just wanted to come together and get that warm, fuzzy feeling of, of singing songs that we're familiar with. It's because there's something there. There's a spiritual element behind this. It's not just another warm day 
or a warm story. There's actually quite a bit of evidence there. So let's look at the Christmas story for just a moment. It began over 2,000 years ago. Pastor Nate read it us during our, our Greek time and our offering time and talked about how that, you know, Mary's just going through her life. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to her. Now, even though prophecies have been given for thousands of years, the angel appears to Mary and, and begins to make this statement, you're going to be with child. Well, her response immediately is, how can that be? But I love that line. Lord, may it be to me as you, as you have said. Boy, that's just an incredible. Man, what if we, like Pastor Day said, what if we all really walk through life with, Lord, let it be to me as you have said. Lord, I surrender to you. We would all have a better life. There'd be more joy, more fullness, more completeness. And it all starts with Christmas. And so this, this happens. Well, Mary's got a little bit of a problem now. She's already engaged. And you can imagine her thoughts of how am I going to break this to my soon-to-be husband. And Scripture tells us that, that, that Joseph was like, you know what, I'm just going to, hands off of this, I'm going to step back and, and I'm going to quietly handle this and let her move on. And then the angel appears to her and says, do not be afraid to take her as your wife. Because this child that she carries is from the Lord. And, to, and to, to his credit, what does Joseph do? He takes him at his word and follows through. And so we have the story that they're going through life and they're going through this, and all of a sudden they, they have to go to Bethlehem for the child to be born. And in the very first Christmas story that we read, every single year begins to unfold. Now, I don't know if there was a 34th Street by that stable in Bethlehem, but I know that some miracles took place there. So let's look at this for a moment. If, you know, we don't have time to get in logs, literally, like I said, you, I, we could do a series on the miracles that took place at that time, and who knows, that may be next year's Christmas series, but I want to look at a few of the key miracles that took place. First of all, the miracle of the virgin birth. If there's one element of the Christmas story that people have the most doubt concerning, it's this part of the story. How could that be? That's impossible. And so what do people do? They turn around and say, well, it's just a, a fable or, or a legend or, or at best maybe a hoax. I've even heard of churches in this day and time that try to explain around the virgin birth because they just can't quite get themselves to agree that a miracle took place. But the point is, if there is no miracle of the virgin birth, then Jesus Christ wasn't the Son of God and you and I aren't saved. So we better grasp a hold of this idea. You know, but remember the definition of the miracle, an event inexplicable by, nat by natural law or science. So yes, according to science, this is impossible. But you know what? I, if you, man, I don't know about you, but, but I believe, I believe that he was 
born of a virgin. I believe that he was the son of God. I believe that he grew up and showed us how much God loves and adores his people. I believe that he willingly went to the cross. I believe that he died for my sins and your sins. I believe that he was laid in the tomb. And I believe that he rose on the third day. And I believe that right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for all of us. Matthew 118, because the virgin's birth plays an important part. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I think, trying to be careful here, I think if there's any person that knew her status in the area of how this child came to be, it ought to be Mary. Right? And Mary seems pretty sure that she doesn't, doesn't quite qualify as a mother by the natural order of things. Luke 1, 34 and 35, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. But see, this isn't something that just happened. This isn't a part of a legend. Isaiah the prophet, hundreds of years before Mary was even born, said this in Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the prophet said that, there would, that God would give us a sign. This would be one of the signs that we could hold on to. One of the things that we could look at and said, this was a part of it. Now we know that he is the son of God because these things happen. And he stepped out the, outside the boundaries of natural law to bring his holy son into this earth. Now I don't know about you, but I know this. This kind of thing has never had never happened before and has not happened since. A miracle by any definition of the word. But when you put it in the context that he's going to be rule over the house of David, at this time, when the angel appears to Mary, it had been 500 years since any descendant of King David had been on the throne. And all of a sudden, this angel appears. And we talked a little bit about Mary, and, but can you imagine the idea of how am I going to explain this to my family? How am I going to explain this to Joseph? What's the community going to think? Am I going to have to be a single mom the rest of my life? But yet she still had the faith and the trust to say, Lord, let it be to me as you have said. And then there's Joseph. You know, Joseph is kind of many times the, the quiet one of the group. I don't know that he was a quiet individual. I just know that when you do Christmas pageants and Christmas programs and those kind of things, Joseph is the one that doesn't get much to say. <laughs> he just has to look the part. He doesn't have to have great acting skills. He just leads Mary along walks her up to the inn where the innkeeper says there's no room in the inn and then they wander on from there. That's kind of his part. But in reality, 
Joseph played a huge part in this story. Joseph had to have the faith to believe that what Mary was saying and what the angel told him was true. Scripture says that Joseph was a devout man, was a very, very honest, very trustworthy, very godlike man. And we, we see these things, and, and to have that faith, to have that desire to, to follow through, and because in that day and time, I don't know if you're aware of this, it's not like today where if you're engaged and you change your mind, you can just say, oh, I changed my mind. Here. Right? In that day and time, there was some legal procedures that had to be followed to break off an engagement because it was that binding. And Scripture tells us that Joseph even thought about it. When the angel appeared, he followed through. And I tell you what, while we don't know much about it, I guarantee you... God chose that man to help raise Jesus for a purpose. So the whole thing is full of miracles. For us, just like every other aspect of our walk with Christ, we must, like that couple, we must have faith in the miraculous. Because how can we have miraculous salvation if we don't have faith in the miraculous activity of God? God performs miracles. And the virgin birth is a miracle that we can hang our hat on. That we can say, I know that I am saved because of how that child came in the world. But that's just one of the miracles. There's another miracle that probably we don't even think about that much. There's the miracle of him being born in Bethlehem. I mean, this, that's not a small miracle. You may think of it. We kind of read through it. Oh, he was born in Bethlehem. But there's more to it than that. I mean, there's a lot of, it seems like a small detail, but this small detail required quite a few miracles of its own. There was the whole thing of how do we get this, this family, how do we get this couple from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem for the birth. How do we make that happen? Because the child was going to be born, was going to be the Messiah, every single prophecy would have to line up. How do we get them there? I mean, can you imagine this? Everything had to line up. Because somewhere along the way, if he was going to be the Messiah, somewhere along the way, somebody was going to check the scorecard to see if all the prophecies lined up. And so it had to. And one of the prophecies was this, Micah 5.2. The prophet Micah said, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. I want you to understand the significance of this. The credentials are going to be tested. Is he really the Messiah? Is he son of God? 
And God gave them through all the prophecies a scorecard to lay out because if he was going to be that person, all those things had to line up. And and so there was going to do that. So literally, in a sense, kind of like the miracle of 34th Street, Jesus being the Messiah has been on trial for over 2,000 years. Picked apart, looked at again and again. Matter of fact, I even one of the one of the shows we occasionally like to watch is Expedition Unknown. I just like stuff like that, and it's a show that I like to. And Josh Gates is an archaeologist, and he travels around and explores all kinds of things. And so last year they had this kind of Christmas special, and they were going to explore the idea of Jesus' birth. And so he was in Jerusalem, and he was going around, and I thought this could be cool. But how many know that anytime the secular world tries to get a hold of these things, they just can't do it right? And I watched as he investigated and went around, but he never went and talked to scholars of the Bible that really knew what they were talking about. He went to Jewish historians that really don't see Jesus as the Messiah, so they're trying to shoot holes in it. And one of the things that came up, though, was the idea, was Jesus really born in Bethlehem? And this theory was floated out that, well, yes, technically, but not the Bethlehem that is traditional. There's another little town that's further away that can be, that can be referred to as Bethlehem, and, and that's probably where he's more likely born, and he probably really didn't travel all that much, and just all this stuff, you know, they just... Totally, but you know what? Scripture says Bethlehem Ephrathah. And the Ephrathah is a reference to the Jerusalem area. So that sits it in the right location. But then this idea of, did he really go there? Now I want you to look at something. This is just one of the things, this is just one of the prophecies that had to align. And so I got curious. I did a little research. In 1969, there was a book written by Peter W. Stoner and Robert C. Newman who wrote this book entitled Science Speaks. And they laid out the odds of any man in all of history meeting the prophecies. Statistically, what would the odds be that one individual could be born at any time, any place in the world, and align with these prophecies? But here's the interesting thing about it. They figured it on the eight top prophecies. So these facts, these statistical numbers I'm about to give you have nothing to do with the over 60 prophecies. Over 275 other little references that kind of refer that add other little pieces that Jesus had to line up to. But just the top eight, including his birth in Bethlehem, they came up with a number. And that number is this, that to line up with those eight, the odds of him lining up would be one to the tenth power. Now think about that. Let me give you a little bit of reference for that. Did you know that the odds of you being injured by lightning strike in your lifetime is one in 250 million? Think about that. You are statistically more likely to be shot in parts of Chicago than you are to be struck by lightning. <laughs> but think about one 
or 10 to the 17th power. That's a huge number. The book goes on to make another interesting statement about that number. They said it would be the equivalent of if you had a dollar bill for everyone, or not a dollar bill, but a, a silver coin, dollar coin, for every one of those numbers that literally, and they use this, not me, you could fill the state of Texas with dollar bills from border to border to border, two feet thick. Now picture that. And there being one coin out of all of those that's a different color. That is the odds of one individual fulfilling those eight prophecies exactly as laid out out of all that. Now, if you were just randomly fly over an airplane and they drop you out with a parachute and your job the second you landed was to grab one coin, what is the odds of you grabbing that one coin? That's the odds of this one individual fulfilling all these prophecies. See, but God is a God of miraculous details, even down to getting Jesus to the town of prophecy. Now, some of you proposed it was some sort of elaborate scam that, that Mary and Joseph cooked up and that later that somehow the disciples came along and helped carry out this, this scam. Now, can you imagine, though, when you have a child, you dream about that child's future. You dream of them being a doctor, a lawyer, a minister, whatever, president. But how many of you are going to say, I want my child to be the Messiah? But let's say that perhaps they did have that dream. All right? And Mary is expecting a child, and they did get prophecies, and an angel did speak. And so, so on some level, Mary knew. I don't believe she knew all the details, but she, she knew. She didn't probably know that he'd walk on water. She didn't know all the things he would go through, but she knew some things. But do you think that they would absolutely sit down and say, well, let's look up all the prophecies and let's make sure that we have Jesus where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there to make sure it lines up? Of course not. And if they were, her being heavily expectant with child, I don't think they would have waited right before the birth to go to Bethlehem. I think they would have relocated sooner. But also think of all the excuses they'd have not to do that. Joseph has his carpentry business. He probably had orders from Epstein down the street. They had to be fulfilled. He probably looked at the idea of, man, I don't know about making this trip to Bethlehem. You know, our, our donkey's kind of an older model donkey. I don't know if he can make that journey. And, and you're about to have a baby, and it's at best a four-day journey from here. And, and what if something happens along the way? I mean, 
out there in the wilderness, if you have the child, where are we going to find a store with the government-approved burrow seat for the baby? And I'm having a little fun, but you get the picture, all the things that would go in this. Why would you make a four-day journey when you know that you're about to have a child? The only thing that would make that happen is if the government stepped in and said, you have no choice. You have to get from here to here by this day. And that's exactly what happened. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David. He had to go. There was no choice. The Roman government was not the most forgiving. I don't think they sent out exemption clauses. I think it was do what you got to do. You be here by this time. And they had to comply. And so they did. And they were there. How many know that God has a way of putting us in the places we're supposed to be when he wants us to be there? Yes, we have choices in the matter. We make decisions in life. But he has a way of making even our decisions land us where we're supposed to be in certain key moments in our lives. Kind of reminds me of Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, his plans for us many times are inconvenient, but they're necessary because they're designed to put us in the middle of his purpose. I mean, think of all the strings that he's pulled in your life along the way to put you places that you're supposed to be for that given moment for something to happen in your life. And he does it again and again. It's a part of what he does. And this is literally this is literally just one example of over 60 prophecies. I mean, literally, we could look at all 60 and we'd see all kinds of miracles just like this bringing things into alignment. But there's another one. This is the miracle of his birth announcement. Or as I, as I, I kind of said on there, the holy reveal party. <laughs> I know we live in a day and a time where that's the big thing, like reveal parties and, and announcements and all that kind of stuff. And, and you see people, that's like certain people try to outdo one another. And, and I couldn't help but think about this this whole process when I was walking through this of how Derek and Meredith let us know that we were about to have our first grandbaby. It was pretty elaborate what they came up with. We were, they were all coming over. We were having a, a get-together. We were having a, a kind of a, periodically, we get the whole family over. We have game days at our house. And, and because I, I think it's kind of cool that board games and stuff are kind of coming back. Because it's, it's more interaction. And so we were just talking and having a good time. And, and periodically, not all the time, but periodically, we play the game of Clue. Right? Anybody like Clue? And so we decided to play the game of Clue. And so we have it all spread out. And, and, and we're, we're playing the game of Clue. We're walking through. And, and we get to the end. And, and Shelby wins. And it was the first time she ever won this game. <laughs> 
And so she makes her accusation, and if you ever played it, she gets the little cards, and she pulls up the little clue package, and she pulls the cards out to see if she's right on her accusation, and she was right. But she froze. She was looking at the cards. We're like, what? Are you right? Are you wrong? Or are you out? We're still going. And she's just, this look on her face. What? Show us the cards. <laughs> she lays down. Meredith with baby in her belly. <laughs> That's how we found out. That's creative, right? I mean, literally, they, they had brought their own clue envelope from their house and had these cards pre-printed inside. And they even said clue on the back of the cards. So when, when Shelby was holding them, it looked like the real thing. But that announcement doesn't even compare to the miracles that God pulled off with his announcement. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 11. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be full, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's start with the shepherds. There's so many miracles here. To us, shepherds aren't of that much significance. I mean, if you're putting on a Christmas play with kids like we did for years, shepherds are the ones that are a little fidgety. (laughs) That you can dress up to look cute in their shepherd outfits, and if they get a little off the mark, they're not messing up the program. Because if they have a line in the program, it's more likely, ah, I'm sore afraid. (laughs) Right? But yet they play a major role in the announcement of the birth. The angels showed up and informed the shepherds. That's significant. Shepherds were not the most sought-after people of that time. They were the riffraff that lived on the outskirts of the community. Still to this day, you go to Israel, and when you get out away from areas, you still see people that live in little put-together huts on the outside of things, and they still live very much like they lived back in the day, except they're, they're riding their camels and stuff with cell phones. <laughs> but you see, you see the picture These shepherds are out tending their flocks at night, and all of a sudden, the angel appears and says, I have great news for you. Today in Bethlehem, a child has been born. And when the announcement is given, we hear that other angels appeared, and there was singing that took place. And, and, but you know what? Shepherds were not the people. You don't have a party. You don't have a get-together. You don't have a celebration. And say, oh man, we're so excited. We invited six shepherds to our party. <laughs> they weren't looked on as the best. They, because of their occupation, they had a hard time following all the ceremonial laws. 
They were considered unclean. Matter of fact, in their court systems, if you look at the history, it took multiple shepherds testimony in the courtroom to equal one person of good standing in the community. But yet Jesus sent a personal invitation to these shepherds to be a part of the birth. You know what that tells me? That that baby came to die for even the most common, outcast part of society. They were invited. And it was because of that that we can all be assured of the grace of what Jesus has done for us. But it's not just the shepherds, there's the angels. I ran across this thing as I was working on this week. I did did not know this. I wasn't aware of this. But apparently in that day and time, it was fairly common if you were royalty or people of of means that if if you had a baby on the way, that if the baby was born and it was a male, that there were musicians and people ready to play music at the birth of the baby boy. Now imagine... If you're not of noble birth, imagine if you're a husband and wife that are just barely getting by, you had to travel on a four-day journey, then you have a baby in a place that you didn't expect to have a baby, and you're living in a stable, but you're still of of, of holy birth. I think it's interesting that God had the band ready to go right at that birth that the angels showed up and provided the music. See, there's faith in in the wonder of Christmas. And if we could just back up and remove ourselves and, and get back to enjoying the wonder of Christmas as a child again, how great would that be to understand the miracles that took place? Because you know what? Faith in the wonder of Christmas is what your soul's been waiting for. Now maybe you're here and you've asked Christ into your life and all that stuff, but you know, I still can't help it. I get excited about Christmas because it's just that time that we stop. And we look at it and we say, you know what? There was a miracle that took place. There was a little child that God performed all kinds of miracles so that that child could be born. And so because of that, and many other things I've experienced in my life, I have zero doubt that this thing is real. I have seen too many miracles, too many things happen. It's real. And we could stop right there. And I'm not going to go much longer, I promise. But I want us to look at the miracle of the heavens. Even if some of these events were staged to line up, how do you synchronize the heavens in time for the birth? I don't think that was within Mary and Joseph's capability of making that happen. I don't think there's a website they could go to and say, hey, let's schedule the stars to align for this moment. 
Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 2, 1 and 2 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, we see all this. And, and you know, maybe if you're wealthy, you know, Derek and Maris' announcement with the... Uh, with the clue game was cool, but maybe if you're more wealthy, you could have an airplane flyover with a banner saying it's a boy. You could rent a billboard and have something put up. There's things you could do, but having the pull to time the very heavens themselves in alignment with this birth is a miracle beyond comprehension. That literally people from a far off land could look up to the sky and say, something is happening. Let's go follow that star. <laughs> I wonder, as they were loading their camels and stuff up, if people, if their neighbors and friends were looked at them and said, Okay, you're leaving and you don't know where you're going, and you're gonna be following a star with all this stuff. Are you sure you're a wise man? But yet there was something in that that compelled them. There was, they, they knew something significant was happening. And, and, and the timing required to pull all that off is incredible. And, and there have been people that try to explain away and say, oh, it wasn't really a star. But the interesting thing is, and I used this probably two years ago in a message, but I wanted to point something out. In 1990, a coin was discovered from the time of King Herod that depicts Aries, an astrological sign, a ram looking back over his shoulder at a giant star. So something happened at that time period that it was even commemorated on coins. God pulled off some pretty cool stuff. <laughs> but I love the image of the Magi kneeling in adoration before the Messiah. After a long journey across the wilderness, mile after mile, following what they believed to be a distant star that announced the birth of the promised one. You know, the Magi made that trip. And they brought gifts to worship. They were pretty sure it was significant. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the Magi, but we do know they were from the country of Persia, which is now Iran. So at best, it was a 400-mile journey. At worst, it was a 700-mile journey. And can you imagine doing that on camelback? At best, it was a one-month journey. They were considered holy men. They were considered teachers. And, and it's, as Pastor Nate talked about last week, that the term magi is where we get the word magic from because they were considered people that could see things and, and do things. And so these aren't people that, that were necessarily followers of Jewish law, but yet they saw enough to know that something significant had happened. And, and I believe that part of the reason that they were there, part of the reason I believe this is because it also kind of signifies, you know what? That Jesus wasn't just born for the Jews. He was born for those that were far off. 
Not just by land and distance, but by time. So regardless of this birth was announced, not only to the people of Israel, but well beyond that. Now, recently, I know somebody that posted something, and man, I still wanted to jump in the argument, but I didn't. I've learned long ago that I just don't argue on Facebook. It's not worth it. But I have someone that I know pretty well that posted, don't you dare put the Magi in your nativity scene. They weren't there on the night he was born. Okay, probably not. But they were still a part of the story of his birth. And so go ahead and include them. To me, what you're doing, when you create a nativity scene, you're telling the whole story. One of the coolest things I think I ever did with a bunch of kids concerning Christmas was I had a really nice, elaborate nativity scene. And I just picked up a piece at a time and told the story of each individual from their perspective. This story wouldn't have been the same if we'd left the Magi out of it. So if you're one of those people that has to be literal and it has everything has to be correct and right, here's how you can include the Magi. Go ahead and set up your nativity scene close to your Christmas tree. That way you've got a star close by on your tree. You can sit your magi over on the mantle of your fireplace headed that way. You can put them afar off, all right? But the point is that if God could put a star in the sky and announce the birth to his son that they would see it and respond. And if they would come preparing gifts, and the gifts even align of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't have time to get all of it, but gold is a symbol of divinity. Frankincense is a symbol of holiness and righteousness. Myrrh is a spice that was used for embalming and death. And there's so much more we could get into on that. But it doesn't matter when they showed up. It's still a part of the miracle story. And the greatest, most miraculous event in history was when God came to dwell among us. I know that there's Scrooges that want to pick everything apart. I know that Christmas is on trial in our, in our society more than ever before. But my faith has been confirmed over and over and over. And I think that's why the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Christmas is more than a story. It's a celebration of faith in the Christ of Christmas. If God could have a little compliment on the keyboard. Anytime I get to thinking about Christmas, I can't help but think back some of the Christmas productions we pulled off through the years. And I thought of my favorite one. Matter of fact, we like it so much we did it twice, years apart. It was that good. And the name of the play, I know Mallory and some of you guys will remember it. The name of the play was the first Leon. 
Leon was a young man that wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. But he discovered that his name spelled backwards was Noel. And so it kind of became his personal mission to, to spread the good news of Christ at Christmas time. And so when the church that he was that Leon was a part of announced that they were going to have a Christmas production, he couldn't wait. I mean, he showed up and he tried out for every single part. Didn't land a one of them. Was so disappointed. But the director saw his disappointment and said, you know what, I do have one part I can give you. Understudy to the innkeeper. Literally, the understudy to the person who's wholesome of the lines of the play, according to the play, so it's kind of a play within a play, was no room. But the incredible happens. The first innkeeper gets sick. And Leon's up. He's the innkeeper. And he's so excited and he's got some part. And so he practices and practices and practices. And, and, and Mary and Joseph are supposed to come in and they travel and they come out to the end and when they say pardon me sir would you have any room that we could stay in that his whole responsibility was to look at it and say no room I mean Leon practice and practice every possible way you could say no room the moment comes in the play where Mary and Joseph come in and the end is on stage. And they come up and they ask. And Leon faithfully delivers his line. Sir, is there a place where we can stay? No room. But as Mary and Joseph are walking off, this gets me every time I think about it. Leon can't stand that thought. And so Leon blurts out, you can have my room, Jesus. Plays over. Within the play about the play, Leon's backstage. He thinks he blows it. He's beating himself up. I couldn't even do this right. And person after person comes by and says, Leon, you made the play. Did you see that there wasn't a dry eye out in the congregation? Of course, after that is all done, Leon breaks into this song entitled, You Can Have My Room, Jesus. Isn't that really what it's all about when it's said and done? This incredible story when there's so many in the world that don't have any room for us. We have the opportunity to make room for Jesus. And just 
if me just telling that story affects you like that, you can imagine what it was like when it was played out in front of everybody. If we do a Christmas play here and we get enough kids to pull that off, that's the one I'm going to do. <laughs> but is there room in him for him in your life? Because that's what Christmas is all about. I want to, for just a moment, would you just bow your heads? And we're going to do something, but we're going to take communion at the end of service because I believe if there's a time that the communion fits, it's certainly when we talk about Jesus and his birth. But if you haven't made room for Jesus in your life, what would be the greatest thank you for the gift that he gave us than to make room for him today as we celebrate his birth? So if you're here and maybe for whatever reason, maybe circumstances, maybe doubts, but as I spoke to you, something stirred your heart and you say, you know what? There's just a inner witness in my heart and my spirit that says this is the truth. And I've never responded, but I want to do so today. My goal this morning is not to make a spectacle out of anything or to embarrass you. But what a great gift that would be to the Lord to just surrender to him. If there's anybody that that's you, just kind of, where are you at without anybody looking around, just kind of raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to give my life to Christ. Or maybe you say, you know what? I have, but circumstances I've just kind of wandered away from that and I'd like to recommit this morning anybody at all just where you at raise your hand like I said I'm not going to make a spectacle out of you but it'd be wrong if I didn't give that opportunity anybody at all just a few more seconds amen anybody else anybody else lead you in a prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift that you gave us, for being born. Lord, we, I just pray for the individual that raised their hand. Lord, I pray that they would just respond by just in this moment, just in their own way, asking you to come and renew that commitment. Make it fresh and real and new because it's so easy to get caught up in so many things. Lord, I ask you to do that in their lives. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask our leadership to come and we're going to prepare to receive communion as the last thing this morning. And typically, we have you guys step out and meet them, but since we have a full house, we're probably going to work to pass it up and down the aisles so you can remain where you're seated. If you happen to be a guest with us this morning, you're not a part of the church, we, we do not serve a closed communion. In other words, if you're not a member, as long as you're a believer in Christ, we want you to join in with us. Because we believe this is for all that follow Jesus. 
So if you guys would just begin to circulate that among the people, I think there's too many people for them to come down front. So let's just pass it up and down the house. How many of you appreciate the sacrifice that Jesus made for us? Can you imagine literally being born with the weight of the world on your shoulders for the purpose of laying down your life to pay for the sin of everybody else? incredible gift. So many miracles took place just to pull it off. That's a God that loves his people. Is there anybody that's not been served? Just want to make sure we didn't miss anybody. We need us guys up here. Don't forget Peyton here, man. He's doing a good job. If you would, stand with me. That baby grew up. And in every way, even as he lived his life, fulfilled every single one of the prophecies. 
And on the night that one of the major ones was about to be fulfilled, that he knew he was going to be arrested. He knew that the cross was what was next. He pulled his disciples together at the Last Supper. Scripture says he took the bread. He said, this is my body. It'll be broken for you. They didn't understand at the moment what that meant. But standing on this side of history, we understand the sacrifice that was made for us. So I'm going to pray over the bread and then we're going to take it together. Father, we do come before you today. What the incredible sacrifice that was made, the willingness to go to the cross, to suffer such incredible torture for our behalf. Lord, there's no thank you is not enough. But Lord, today, as your scripture declares, we do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name. Take the bread together. Then it says he took the cup. And with the cup, he said, this is my blood that's been shed for you. Scripture goes on to say, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Jesus allowed himself to shed his own blood, that innocent blood, that holy blood, to wash away our sins often like to think of in that in moments like this what is the worst thing I ever done that I can bring to the front of my mind and realize that even that was taken care of by the blood and they took it together so let's pray over the cup father we come before you today we thank you for the blood of Jesus we thank you Jesus that you came and you walked this earth and you gave your life for us And Lord, as a celebration of your birth, Lord, we can't celebrate your birth without looking towards the end and looking what you accomplished and looking at what you did. And so, Lord, today we say thank you for what you've done. Today we take this cup understanding that this is just a little bit of grape juice in a small cup. But, Lord, your blood was shed. It was spilled out. And because of that blood, we can stand here today free clear, forgiven, and full of your glory and your spirit. And so, Lord, today we say thank you. And, Lord, we just ask you to bless this as we take it together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Can we just thank him for that together? Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for Christmas and each and every person that's here. Lord, we have that one thing in common. Because of your blood, we're all blood relatives. We give you praise in Jesus' name. I'm going to have a couple more guys to stand back to the back and then collect your cups on the way out. Merry Christmas, and thank you for being with us today.